0: We're back with another episode of Hear the Spear, presented by Noel Game Day. I'm Ryan Stalder, as always, accompanied by my co-host, Ethan Vaughn. Today we will be be discussing the uh, start of spring ball, as well as the basketball team's run into the Sweet 16, with Noel Game Day basketball writer, Dustin Lewis, who will be joining us later in the show. But uh, for now, what's going on, Ethan? Not a whole lot, man. Uh, What about you? Uh, Just hanging out, getting ready to uh, get these uh, spring thoughts off my chest. I've been uh, pretty excited to do this show. This is an exciting spring, obviously, for Florida State after uh, the chase built up a lot of hype. And this is the first time we really get to see what Willie Taggart and the coaches can do on the field. Um, Especially, it's exciting because today they announced that I believe the first two practices will be open to the public. Is that right? I'm
1: not sure if it's the first two um,
0: because I think it –
1: uh it, you might be actually i don't think it's the first two Two because like, of
0: the first practices yeah. will be open to the public which will really give fans a chance i know you'll be at, at least one of them ethan um to to see the the new coaching staff uh work in action and should be exciting for the fan base but uh what are your thoughts just going into the spring general thoughts are you excited are you what, what are your thoughts going in well i mean i think the
1: There's nothing really you can be other than excited to to see what's going to go on. Um, I'm not sure it's a spring necessarily that is going to give you a whole lot of answers, um, definite answers on anything. I think it's something that you know it it might be a spring where you can gather some information, but you can't really you know you know answer a whole
0: lot of questions that you may have. I think that's a really good point, especially too many changes. The overarching question, which is the quarterback position, I don't think, I definitely think we won't have an answer coming out of spring. Almost, I, I guess I know we won't have an answer because uh, one of the incumbent starters, I guess, DeAndre Francois, is out for the spring with his uh, leg injury, ankle injury, and knee injury, right? Knee injury. Knee injury and yeah. yeah, his knee injury will keep him out for spring. So I guess just Hockman and Blackman will will go at it. We'll get we'll get some good intel as far as who is, I guess, developing better out of those two, and I guess who has the upper hand going into fall camp. But ultimately, we won't know the spring or the uh, fall starter until I guess I don't know how Taggart usually plays this out, but even maybe until the first game.
1: Yeah, I don't. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, that's the one storyline, uh, kind of the overriding storyline, headed into the season is who the starting quarterback's going to be. Um, and there was a you know some quotes from from Willie Taggart today, that were pretty pretty interesting in terms of, you know, like like what what he was thinking at the quarterback position. Um, uh, here's the quote: "Is I'm sure Bailey, um, I'm sure Bailey's not going to make it easy on him being James Blackman, and when DeAndre gets back out there, he's not going to make it on easy on him either." So to me, that that was kind of an interesting kind of an interesting thing for for Taggart to bring up Bailey first and then DeAndre and I think that could be pretty easily explained by the fact that DeAndre's you know out hurt right now obviously not doing any of the on-field work that the two, the two other guys aren't but it, it, you know maybe maybe there is a little bit of like okay DeAndre's going to have to prove a lot to get a shot especially because he's out in the spring so I don't know it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out You know, in the in the spring, like you said, I think you get to see kind of who looks better, or or maybe hear some tidbits about um, if Bay Bailey Hawkman is is going to be able to kind of um, give Blackman a run for his money, and and then go from there in the fall. But I I really just have have a hard hard time seeing Francois starting without getting any of the in you know the springtime work in a brand new offense. You know, you can do those mental reps as much as you want, but there's no experience for you there's no substitution for the actual physical experience of running these plays so i just think it's going to be hard for francois to start
0: i agree i guess well you kind of just led us into the the quarterback discussion so i guess we'll start there um i think one thing people i kind of need to realize like yes um blackman started all of last year yes francois started all of 2016 and had a pretty good campaign but like at the end of the day, like, none of that really matters to Taggart and Walt Bell. Like, right? Like, it it just... I mean, yes, it's, like, experience that matters. But as far as... It, they weren't playing for them. So, I don't think that will be weighed as heavily as if this was still, like, Jimbo's team and Jimbo's offense. So, I do think there's, like, more of a clean sheet than people realize. And I do think it's any at genuinely anybody's job to win. That's why I think Hawkman has a better chance than most. I almost think it's about 50-50 because... Like by all accounts, and you correct me if I'm wrong. This is kind of my own opinion that uh, I don't see a lot of other people um, like agree with necessarily. But Hawkman was the better quarterback prospect out of high school. I think he had a better like spring, or he uh, he had a good spring last year, and then a better fall camp than than Blackman's. And I think he only there, there you, nobody really got a definite answer on this, but the rumblings were that Blackman only really got to play because. Hawkman was quote unquote banged up. Is that right? Is that what you hear? I, I definitely agree that that Hawkman, um, he was hurt
1: coming in, I believe, at least some during the spring as well. And, and I don't know how much work he got. Um, I did hear, you know, it, it did seem like everybody just kind of penciled him in as the backup kind of to Francois heading yeah. into the season. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the tale was behind the scenes, you know, in practice, whether if, you know, Blackman was truly more impressive than Hawkman or if, if Hawkman's injury really, you know, prohibited him, prohibited him that much. Um, but, you know, without a doubt, he was the better, he, he was the more highly recruited, um, you know, more polished quarterback prospect coming out of high school. Uh, when Florida State started recruiting him, he was really high, highly ranked. He was a top five quarterback in the country. Um, his junior season at uh, McEachern High School um, in in Georgia, where he he played for his dad. You know, he he was a coach's son. You know, in, in, and there's certain benefits that come with that. Everybody so, knows. So
0: one of the benefits. Sorry to interrupt you. One of the benefits of coach's son that that I kind of like have really been. I don't know. Weighing heavy into this whole quarterback race, I guess is they all have to learn a new offense, right? So. I mean, I don't know. I think Hawkman has a better chance than. I'm not saying he's like the favorite or anything like that. I just think he has a lot better chance than people are giving him, especially because like the people we've talked to have said from practice have said Hawkman, uh, Hock- Blackman, and Francois are all as mentally, they're all like the same. They've all progressed the same. So really, it's just going to come down whoever knows the playbook best come fall, right? Because if, if, say, Blackman. Looks a little bit better in practice, but at the end of the day, the signal caller is going to need to call the signals and know the plays and be able to, especially if it's going to be a run-heavy offense like Taggart has ran year after year. You know, you you're going to need a guy oh, who
1: that that actually leads me to another another point. I can't remember, um, you know, it, not not to l- l- we can finish the quarterback discussion, but th- that you know, talking about the run-heavy pat, the run-heavy offenses of the past, um. We can get into that in a little bit, but there was a recruit who actually mentioned um, coming off a Florida State visit that they said they were going to throw the ball a lot. Uh,
0: was was a receiver. Yes, <laughs> so I would yeah. tell the receiver I was going to throw the ball a lot too. <laughs> but at the yeah. end of the day, I mean, I can only go by what they've done every single year since he's been a head coach, which is run the ball more than FSU saw the ball ran under Jimbo Fisher at least. So, I don't know. It just it's just an it's going to be very interesting to me. The one thing is, I, I like all three players. Like, I don't really have a a personal favorite, which makes it kind of fun for me. I guess whoever Taggart and Walt Bell decide is the guy, like, then then they really have had to earn it, because in my mind, I think all of them have, like, unique Pretty strengths. Yeah. yeah, I think I Hockman's think kind of, like, very similar to Francois as a quarterback. I don't know, that's... And I I just
1: I just think that to me, can
0: we can we weigh some of the pros and cons in in their individual strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. Okay. because I think I think it's important. Yeah, I think I I watched Hawk I I happen to have watched Hawkman's whole senior tape today again in like preparation for this. And I don't know. His game reminds me a lot of Francois. They're about the same size, about the same athleticism. Hawkman might be a little bit more accurate and Francois is a little bit bigger of an arm is that that's that's what I got from watching yeah, I think I think that's
1: pretty accurate right there I think I think Hawkman's a little bit more accurate but he might give up a little bit of arm strength to Francois um, you know it's it certainly it's an interesting debate for me because like you you know I mean if you want to go through the plus and minuses you can start with Francois and, and certainly with Francois his um, his pluses or, or really start, you know, begin and end, I guess, with his arm strength. Um, and, and I guess a little bit of athleticism to run kind of a dual threat um, offense Thompson. where he's asked to run a little bit, you know, run a little bit better. Um, but he is coming off a knee injury, so that could, you know, what effect is that going to have on that? And then his downside, certainly um, accuracy. His accuracy was a real problem, especially against um, better defenses. His his troop, or his redshirt freshman year, um, leadership. And, and, yeah, and then leadership. You know, what are you going to get out of him? It it certainly seems like Willie Taggart's been able to get him to take a more active role in participating with the team and things. But it, it, I don't. You know, you got to ask yourself how much of that is saying, okay, things have gotten shaken up. I have a new coach. I have to prove myself to him or whatever. Um, and how much of that is is truly like a change at heart? It's something that's gonna you know once the new the new coach feeling kind of kind of rubs off. How much of that is gonna gonna come back through, or how much of it is actually a true change of of character and heart? And only kind of time will be able to tell that. So um, you know that,
0: that's something that is is a concern. It certainly seems like Blackman is a better leader by all accounts. I think. I don't know. It's, it's interesting when you talk about Blackman's strengths and weaknesses as a player, because he's the only player that actually got thrust into, you know, into we, like into, yeah,
1: into, into into a situation that was a terrible
0: situation. Yeah. So what what would we be saying about Francois and Hawkman right now if they had to go if they had, had, go, if they had exactly exactly if, if Blackman could have had a year to sit and then hand off to cook behind a much better, like more experienced offense? then we might be talking about him differently you know it's just you know and if as much as i you know i would say that
1: i don't really have a like a single horse in this race i i'm certainly a proponent proponent of james blackman um you know i think last year you know he was caught in a bad situation obviously and, and it seemed like he almost regressed the the longer he played under jimbo fisher and it was just kind of a toxic situation very um, but the one thing that that really just just stands out to me about him is he his accuracy and, and his ball
0: placement when he has and, time to throw there's no doubt he's a I very had, good quarterback i like i i don't know i think he was second best quarterback in the ACC this past year even though it was kind of a putrid year to be honest it with when given a certain amount of time to throw which, I
1: mean you just go look at some of the throws he makes uh, you know these these deep balls he throws he puts them like in the tore
0: perfect up spot that, that NC State game that in Tallahassee exactly. that we were at just yeah, uh, and that was that was his that was first his best game. game that was yeah. his first game and his best game of the regular season in, until the yeah, bowl game yeah until the bowl game
1: which was against you know a little bit lesser competition
0: yeah. lesser pass rush lesser coverage
1: but you know that was the thing that really just stands out to me about about Blackman is just the ball placement and and you know when we talked about Francois having the arm
0: strength, I, I think Blackman is right there with him. And He's he has, definitely he yeah. You can't you can't delineate between those two when it comes to arm strength. I that's I don't, I don't think so that's either. like uh, yeah. That's that's not that's a debate. You you could debate all day, but at the end of the day, they both have plus arm strength, and uh, no, they, you don't really need any more than than either of them have. Yeah. No, they can both make all the throws. You,
1: you need someone exactly. To make- now when you get into the cons on Blackman, you know, he made some really bad decisions last year, some 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 mistakes. And and the key here is obviously you can't you get you got to like figure out where to end the blame. And that's something that the coaches will do through seeing him, you know, run their offense. Like it's going to be a simpler offense, an offense that's going to require him to make less reads. Um and something that's Def- going to be easier on definitely him.
0: Definitely an easier offense.
1: But but you
0: got to you got to figure out, you know, what it's going to be a quick it's going to be a different offense as far as a quarterback is concerned. It's not a three step, five step drop, read the defense pre snap and then make sure like it's not it's it's completely different. It's going to be half of the reads are going to be whether to hand it off or throw a screen and it's just completely different.
1: Oh, and that that brings up another thing, actually, in in an offense that's going to be screen heavy. I can say with one hundred percent certainty that Francois is not not very accurate on, yes. on, on like screen passes and, and such. This is true. And, and, and it's actually it's actually really important in an offense like Taggart's where these short throws and, and, and stuff. And it's
2: also
1: watching yeah. Blackman this year, he hits for the most part. Now there were a couple times where you know it looked like he was jittery and, and a lot totally of that is repetition him.
0: too. I mean, but, I, but, any, I mean I think I think any yeah. college quarterback should be able to hit the quick screens, man. I but, don't know.
1: But, the thing, like Francois, literally over a whole season. I mean, I mean, not to not to say that this should like preclude him from being a starting quarterback. Oh no, not at all. The screens were like catchable, but a lot of times they like pull the guy wide or or something like that. And, and what really, when Blackman got going, he was putting him right on the dot, you know, right where a receiver wants him to be able to, to keep running. And and I, I thought that's something that that maybe you know, it not not that. Tiger to sit there and practice and be like, all right, he hits the screens on the dots. he's a starter. But something that when you step back and like look at how a guy's running your offense as a whole, as those a whole, plays yeah. might run a whole lot smoother with a guy who can just put it, you know, put it on target and give that receiver or that running back room to run. So it's something that that certainly might play into the overall aesthetic of of like who's running who's running the offense more successfully.
0: Also, one thing that is a completely different, I don't know changes that a quarterback now is almost like so so for on the in the twenty ten through twenty seventeen offense that uh, Florida State fans just witnessed, Jimbo Fisher called every single play, and with limit I don't know I don't want to say QBs didn't have like a lot of input, but as you Jimbo's not giving the play sheet up to anybody like anybody as far as that goes. But this year the coat the the quarterbacks. Not necessarily going to be calling plays, but with the options that they have in the in the system, it's going to be a lot more of like a coach on the field type scenario. So it, that's that's just emphasizing my point earlier about like I don't know, Hawkman's Hawkman's dad was a coach and he's a, a like a, a smart football player. Uh, Blackman has been by all accounts picking up the playbook nicely. Francois has nothing to do this spring but pick up the playbook. So I think that more so than hitting quick screens and footwork and ability to run like whoever the offense meshes with best is going to ultimately be the starter just because it's going to be, you heard Taggart during the bowl game. They're not going to huddle. So, you know, that, that plays a total, that's a totally different onus on the quarterback position that wasn't there in the last eight years. Agreed. Totally different. Yeah. It, it's a different, it's, it's, it's a different aspect. It's almost weird. It's different there, things. Yeah. The, like, Half of a quarterback's game, really, is is not even like how well he played, quote unquote. Played is getting him, getting them into and out of plays. You know, it's just a it's just a whole nother check at the line of scrimmage thing. Because if you're not huddling, you're not even calling a play. You know, you're getting to the line of scrimmage, then you have to make sure everybody's in line, everybody's on on the same page. It'll it's going to be interesting. But I think I think we've discussed enough about the quarterback. I uh, had another another thought. Okay, go uh, go go. Uh,
1: not not just on quarterback, but uh, this is actually a different position. I, I, I'm really interested to see how the offensive line kind of comes I just, together. I was just going to get
0: into that. I was just going to
1: kind of comes have, to great great minds thing alike. There you go. Uh, just how, how the offensive line kind of comes together, um, this spring, you know, does a guy like Baby Johnson take I was, that a step forward? I have.
0: Forward? I just I have him pulled up on my on my computer screen right now. I was just about to talk about. The, a couple battles and and injuries. as far as we know, uh, officially baby on Johnsons still like undisclosed his status for or er, er, his status for the uh, the spring is still unknown uh, officially. so we'll have to see I guess this week a lot of those questions will get officially answered um, and we'll just leave it up to that to uh, determine how how serious of a player he could be. Juwan Williams same thing um josh all right so let's just let's just talk about the position battles so first and foremost since you brought up baby on and that's who was on my mind so you have baby on johnson versus alec everly for the the starting center position so do you want to get i mean give your two cents i know there's not much to know right now but if you have any nuggets on that
1: well i i don't yeah i don't know anything for sure i think it's going to be an interesting battle you know um the the I think, center position w- was certainly important in Jimbo Fisher's offense because they had to make a lot of the calls. Now, I haven't I haven't done enough research or heard enough from from any any kind of nuggets or anything about you know what all is gonna be asked of a sender under in Willie Taggart's offense and under offensive
0: line well, coach Greg one, Frey. One thing I know is that uh, under Jimbo Fisher, and this is something he did all like his entire time at FSU is just like part of his philosophy, is the The center was asked to go one on one a lot, uh, mm-hmm. which is why you often saw like Alec Everly get blown up and stuff. And I think, uh, I'm not sure. I have no idea how Willie Taggart runs it. How, how Willie Taggart runs his offense, but I do know that Willie Taggart runs the ball and runs the ball inside the tackles, uh, inside zone as opposed to outside zone more so than Jimbo at least when you compare the two offenses I've watched. Uh, three or four of the every offensive play from Oregon's games this year. And he definitely runs a lot more inside zone than than outside zone and the counter stuff that Jimbo runs. So I do think that having a powerful center as opposed to like a heady center, like like Everly is. And I'm not saying yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying Babyon's not smart, but definitely Everly well, has. Well, that has that, a, was, had a much that was that was why rumored is yeah. like
1: as like something that that allowed Everly to keep that position. So anyway, over if you, someone who's
0: more physically. If you talented. have a powerful, I mean Johnson is basically a powerful right guard playing center, right? Yeah. So if you have if you have basically three guards in the middle between uh Minshew um Minshew Beavion, should benefit from this offense, I think. Yeah, Minshew, Bavion, and then Landon Dickerson. I mean that is a potentially very strong interior play as far as like legitimate strength when you're talking about yeah, I agree. That's that's, that's a that's a group of road games. graders right there. Exactly, exactly. And then on the outside, the, the the interesting battle I think will be at left tackle. Um you have Josh Ball and you have Juwan Williams.
1: I think Josh Ball is gonna start at one of the tackle positions, I'm fairly certain of that.
0: Yeah, so what what did what do you like or dislike about the offensive tackles. What do you what do you see from Ball that you that what, what what makes you think you're you're certain that he starts?
1: You know, he stepped in last year and and, and kind of grew as the season went on and, and had some better and better performances. Um, I think that that's that's just going to be you know enough to to get him over the hump. That that's the one thing you know the tackle position because you're coming off the season w- with Rick Leonard um, departing. I, I honestly I, think, I honestly wondered if, I wonder if um, I wonder if you see a guy like um, maybe a, a Landon Dickerson slide outside or something hold on um, hold
0: on I think I think it would be safe to I was just about to say I think it would be safe to assume that there there are two tackle positions and three players vying three legitimate contenders uh, I would say obviously right and left tackle and then the, the three contenders. Would be Josh Ball, Jawan Williams, and Derek Kelly. I don't think, I don't see, I don't realistically see anybody coming. I don't know, like who, who, Mike Arnold? Maybe you put somebody inside yeah. and put Dickerson outside. I don't and know. Then, and then
1: there's a, there's a,
0: um, like an Abdul Bello. Yeah, Abdul Bello. Um, yeah, Abdul is, Bello does, major does something dark
1: horse. turn on for him?
0: Yeah. yeah major I mean. Dark Horse. Uh, but I don't know. Like we know we know Josh Ball can play. Like you just said, we watched him last year. We Derek Kelly was what this I would say the second best player on the offensive line last year when healthy. And he did a lot. They asked him to do a lot last year. And he's a fifth year senior coming back. So I mean, again, we it with a new staff, the, the most interesting part is it's not going to be necessarily the, the normal names because new guys are going to get a chance. New system, yeah, new system. such a new slate and and new people get a chance you never know what could come out of the first week of spring practice you know yeah
1: i know that's that's what's going to be super interesting i mean super interesting. E- e- even more so than like the blank and there's certainly a blank slate the the thing that that really makes it ex- exciting and, and something that's so different i guess is that you know in a different offensive system different skills and, and different things are going to be more important and, and that's going to allow maybe a different set of players to kind yeah, of come out of these battle, these battles on top because some of the skills that may not have been as, as highlighted in Jimbo Fisher's offense may be something that Willie Taggart puts more of an emphasis on. So not only do you have a blank slate, you also have you know a, a totally a different set of, of kind of values and, and skills that, that Taggart might be looking for in his certain position players. Um and, and so that's gonna you know, it, I think there's gonna be a couple surprises like holy you know like holy smokes that that's weird. Um, yeah,
0: definitely. I think I think you should almost expect purpose. that, right? I don't think it's even it's not even that it might be. There will definitely be surprises out of spring camp. Like, oh, I forgot he was still in the roster.
1: Agreed. Yeah, it, it, yeah. That's gonna be you know one of the things that that's gonna be interesting to watch is see you know what what kind of. What what kind of you know guys like that make an appearance on an on early depth chart or something like that?
0: So just to conclude our offensive line talk and kind of collect our thoughts, I would say that there are three main players for the two offensive tackle positions in Derrick Kelly, Josh Ball, and Juwan Williams. I would say the two guard positions, as long as the coaches want to keep them at guard, I would say they're pretty much locked up with Minshew and Dickerson. Two of them, probably, mo- probably the two most talented. I don't know. Two of the most talented offensive linemen on the team, and then the center position is a battle between Bavion Johnson and Alec Eberly, with maybe Eberly having a slight upper hand because Bavion's coming back from injury, and Eberly has been what the, this is his, this would be his third year starting. Yes. And then, yeah, Andrew Baselli isn't really a factor there. I wouldn't think. Andrew Baselli's be- transferring. Oh no, no, no! Who's the third string center then? Uh, Corey Martinez. That's right, Martinez. Someone, okay, someone you're right, there. you're right. Vaselli is transferring. Vaselli's from Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mixed them up. Okay, yes, Vasily's transferring. But yeah, there, there's two main players at the the uh, center position, period. Okay, so let's just go throughout the rest of the offensive defense. We just gave some pretty good offensive line, some pretty good time to offensive line. The rest of the offensive defense, and say a couple players that you think have a chance to break out in spring. Okay, so... In spring, so the freshmen are kind of... Like, yeah, not, not as far yeah, as the only three, uh, There's only I think three that, freshmen that, on
2: campus. Yeah. That's uh, an important
0: point. Hold on. T- go ahead and tell the audience what, what three players are on campus and that the other 18 are not here yet. Okay. So you got, um, five star
1: safety. Jaden would be, um, four star slash three star, depending on wh- where you're looking, uh, linebacker Amari Gaynor and three star offensive tackle Christian Armstrong are all on campus.
0: Those are the only uh, three freshmen from Tribe 18 uh, competing in spring practice. And the other 18 won't be here till the summer or fall. So uh, as far as like here, and, and this is different for Florida State fans from maybe the, some of the more casual fans used to hearing about all the, like the freshmen in spring. FSU typically had a lot more early enrollees than this year. I think they had like eight last year. Yeah, it's usually like, yeah, between like six and eight. So uh, this will be a, a change, a little bit of a change. But th- that being said, it gives us more of a chance to focus on the returning guys. So, give me a couple guys who you think have a chance to break out. So I think on on offense, you can just go die. through the position
1: groups if you want. Okay, so wide receiver, obviously, I think DJ Matthews, yep. has a real shot to break out um, as a slot receiver. And <laughs> I, I also think everybody
0: think, has a. I think every receiver uh, has a shot yeah. to break
1: out. The to Terry, Terry, Keith,
0: Gavin, DJ Matthews,
1: Eunice I mean, Murray. That's about it. Th- that's still. Uh, well,
0: Noonie, I think Nooney has played enough, and we've seen enough think, of him to yeah. and be breaking out. But the, uh, nearly everybody else hasn't. So DJ Matthews will break out. Period. Point blank. Uh, it'll be really. Nobody has seen Tamori on Terry play. So I mean, yeah, I think that's going to be super interesting. That's that's a that's going to be a huge, like a very interesting thing. They have a couple towers outside. And then, of course, you won't get to see all the receiver, all the freshman receivers, none of them, which is, I mean, I think it's the best uh, uh, wide receiver class FSU signed since Bowden. But I don't know. You won't get to see any of them. It'll just be focusing on the returning guys. So it, that the receiver's very interesting. Everybody has a chance to break out except Nooney because he's already broke out. Um, then as far as tight end, I think we both agree that Trey McKinney I don't know. I think he's going to be the leading receiver at tight end this year. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's really another option, yeah. 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 I, don't I mean,
1: I, I don't see Cameron McDonald or taking him. sure. Yeah, and and this year, yeah. No, don't see that happening either. I think he's more think of an each H-
0: Tagger recruited him in Oregon. He likes his skill set clearly. I think he fits well with what Tagger wants to do. He's also the starter almost by default. So all of those contributing factors, huge breakout contender there. Uh, yeah, the running sure, back yeah. position. This will be an interesting one. I, I want to hear your opinion. That's a crowded running back room, and not not many opportunities to carry the b- ball with with Cam Akers there.
1: Yeah, to be Jaques- interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't know what what's going to happen there. I think I think
1: to me the the kind of like question there is: Did Jaquez Patrick? Secure a, as large of a workload as he had under Jimbo Fisher, um, you know. Willie Taggart has talked frequently about like scoring and scoring fast and scoring with big plays, and I don't necessarily think that that is is Jacques Patrick Patrick's skill set. Is not. I don't think it's scoring fast. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, does a guy like Kalen LeBourne, um take over and, and really eat into Patrick's carries? to where Patrick kind of turns into a short yardage guy, or is Patrick still like a clear-cut half of a one-two punch with um, Cam Akers? I think that's the question for
0: me there. I think you put that perfectly. I don't think that Patrick assumes the same role he did last year. I mean, he might earn the role, but as far as like assuming it when the season starts, not necessarily because it's a new coaching staff. While while Taggart does want to do different, like, different I don't know his ideals on offense are different score fast at the end of the day it's still about like moving the chains getting first downs he runs a lot of like inside runs so i think i mean he had Royce Freeman last year at Oregon who is like 5'11 240 so he's a little bit faster than Patrick but still he's it's not like he's a burner or anything um so i i think Patrick will have a role in the offense if like i don't think his i don't think his style will will uh, not allow him to have a role in the offense. I think C- Kalen Layborn could not let him have a role in the offense if he really steps up in the the uh, spring and then fall, right? I mean, as far as talent goes.
1: Yeah, no, he definitely has the talent. And, and I think that he might be a little bit more of what Taggart, like, I guess, looks for. But, yeah. um and his running backs, but it'll be interesting to see. I don't
0: think there's too many breakout contenders, quote-unquote, at running back because your two leading rushers come back next year, though. Exactly, it, yeah. Sim- put simply. Um, tight end, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, and quarterback. We've discussed them all. Um, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Because you lost seven starters, there are a lot of p- potential breakout candidates. Uh, I guess we could start on the defensive line.
2: I think, one's, I think that one. I think one
0: obvious one comes to mind from probably for you too. Yeah, Marvin Wilson at defensive tackle. I think that one's pretty easy.
1: Um, we saw flashes last year. He just needs to drop the weight and and drop some weight and really uh, dropping weight will allow him to turn into the player that everybody knows that he can be coming out of high school as a five star.
0: Yeah, I think Marvin Wilson definitely most talented maybe player on the defense as far as. Freak, size, speed, power, skill. Uh, Then, obviously, Kando. I'm not going to call him a breakout player because he played in meaningful games last year, Um, but I think he could potentially be in the conversation at the end of the year as one of the best defensive ends in the country, just that kind of talent. Um, Other than that, nothing too crazy on the defensive line. Most guys you've seen before, Christmas and Burns. You've seen a lot of rotation.
1: Go ahead. It's been talked about that Barnett's going to run a four-three, correct? Yeah.
0: Yes, it has. It has definitely. Exactly.
1: So you know that to, to me, the interesting thing there is does, how much play does Burns get? Yeah. Like w- what? What does Burns play? Yeah. You know that. That's yeah. the interesting thing to me there. Definitely. So you know you can't. It, it's gonna. Yeah. That's just gonna be really interesting to see. To me, can Burns be a guy that holds up? against the run in a 4-3, um, you know, going forward. that That's, you know, without, you know, essentially running, the, you know, the 4-2-5. Um. I,
0: I will say from what, what we've heard about uh, the chase in summer or in uh, winter workouts and primarily Taggart's uh, conditioning system, the chase, uh, is that Brian Burns is definitely assuming one of the leadership roles on defense. Um, Another guy that's really stepping up is in the next position group we're going to talk about, which I guess leads us perfectly into that, which is the linebacker group and Dontavious Jackson. While that might come as a surprise to some people, just, I don't know, his track record, there was a lot of stuff with Jimbo not playing him and players putting so- on social media free five in reference to letting him play. Yeah, I, I'm, as I'm sure you recall, Ethan, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um- so- now it's been interesting to hear reports that spring practice or before pre-spring practice that he's definitely stepping up. Um he's also been active on social media saying things like it's going to be different this year and all that stuff. So that's definitely an exciting I don't know thing for the defense and I think he is my biggest breakout contender at the linebacker spot. Yeah,
1: it's going to be really interesting to see. I think um in the, in a 4-3 system I, we talked about this quite frequently in the four-two-five system, where you're only playing two linebackers. You you ask your linebackers to do a lot. They they have to be very versatile and, and kind of like like I think Telvin Smith would be like the perfect example of a linebacker who could succeed in a four-two-five. And the problem is with that is they're kind of like unicorns because you ask these guys to you know be strong against the run. They've got to be able to shed blockers and be strong enough to make tackles against the run. But then in a four-two-five system, they're they're asked to cover a lot of vertical space in, in the middle uh, against like tight ends and stuff in the passing game, and I, I think that that you know kind of made it hard for a guy like Dontavious Jackson because he's not necessarily the, the the guy who's the fleetest of foot. So I think that you know he's somebody that you see. Uh, like Dontavious Jackson is, is probably your your Mike linebacker, your middle linebacker in a four three system. Definitely, and I, and I think that allows him to do a little bit more of what he's better at, which is dumping and and filling holes against the run.
0: Yeah, and so staying, I think that staying in the in between the tackles.
1: Exactly, and, and I think that between, this system, in between
0: the hash marks, I should say,
1: this system you know better allows him to do that, in my opinion. So I think that's that's a good thing, you know, a, a good another reason to point out the fact. Not only has he been a vocal leader, um, from what we've heard on, on what's going on in in these, you know, the spring practices, uh, and and the, the actually not the practices but the spring workouts. Um, but but the better system fit is another reason to think that he's going to break out in this upcoming season.
0: Also, there's I mean there's potential everywhere for breakout linebackers because. I mean, she doesn't return a lot there. Yeah, that's the um, scary thing. You're moving from two to three linebackers,
1: um, you know, like traditional stand-up yeah, linebackers, yeah. not defensive ends, and I don't know how many of those Florida State has.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's definitely the weakest. I think the weakest position group e- either on the roster, but I think definitely on the defense. Yeah, um, no, the, I, Yeah, without a doubt. But, like, we can move into DBs and I guess group them as a whole. There's, I I think there's a lot of room for considering you lost both starting safeties in a corner. I think there's a lot of room for potential breakout players here. So what do you have?
1: Yeah, that that's gonna be you know an interesting interesting position group. Uh, I want to say like a Carlos Becker um, would be a, a breakout candidate, but he's been hurt so he's still
0: he was in a boot today. At yeah, league.
1: I know. Um, so that, that's another problem. Uh, I guess like Sanford Samuels, we've already seen him play, but I, I think he pretty easily slides into, um, the other starting corner role opposite of boundary corner. Yeah. Opposite which, which of which Barnett uh,
0: does run by the way,
1: boundary. He infield. does run boundary and field. Yep. Um, so yeah, there you go. So I think he slides in pretty easily opposite of Levante Taylor.
0: Um, so that answers I, that question.
1: Yeah, and I'm, the, the I, I, almost, I almost order. gave
0: my star prediction. Yeah, uh, nickel, excuse me. Yeah,
1: your, your nickel, um, that's going to be interesting to me as
0: well. Uh, it's a different Kyle role, certainly.
1: It is a different role. Um, it's a
0: more of a cover corner. Yeah. It, it's, a, a it's a 4-3 defense. defense uh, but just real quick, and this isn't something that complex or anything, but just in case you don't know what we're talking about. The nickel or star is the third corner on the field, which replaces an outside linebacker. Uh, so you'd bring it's called like a nickel package you bring an extra corner out Jimbo's system called this star but Jimbo's system was a little bit different and that the like the primary defense was star Yeah the base like, rega- defense the base defense a 4-2-5. Re- was a 425 was a 5 four t- down linemen two linebackers and five defensive backs regardless of I mean I don't want to say regardless of personnel but it was the base defense and this this year the base defense will be a 4-3, I'm sure it'll, they'll run a lot of nickel because that's the state of college football.
2: But yeah, exactly. I you face j- a
0: lot of face a lot of spread, spread offenses. Spread and a lot of, yeah, exactly. Not a lot of tight ends. So one thing I'll say is Jimbo's star position was asked to do a lot more tackling, like LaMarcus Joyner, Jalen Ramsey. Think of Trey Marshall. Think of those type of players. Whereas I think like a Kyle Myers or an Asante Samuel, like those type of players. That, that's
1: actually a good name right there. Asante Samuel could he's, be a name he's, to he's watch. My, he's
0: my breakout for, for nickel. Because,
1: just because, you know, if you're talking about Kyle Kyle Myers, you know, he, he was toasted um, by, you know. <laughs> Braxton Barrios. Braxton Berrios. So, you know, a, a guy like that, you know, these slot receivers, the shiftier guys. Um, Asante uh, you know, was
0: born to be a nickel corner at Florida Exactly.
1: State. Yeah, like I, I think Asante Samuel, you know, could be a guy – that that you know, even though he's not an E, could be a guy that could come in and steal a spot like that in the secondary, just because then, you know he's he's obviously grown up around the game. Uh, he's kind of like the equivalent of a coach's son, just because he grew up around you know his dad and um, just stuff like that. I think he could be someone that could the come the definition
0: steal. of a playmaker. Exactly, There's, I've seen him play in person, double digit amount of times, and I think every game I've been to, he's forced a fumble, recovered a fumble, blocked a kick, or caught an interception without fail. Um, anyways, the last uh, last two, I guess, spots is safety. I think it's going to be Cyrus Fagan and Hanson Azraldine with Jaden would be pushing for both of them for playing time and probably rotating in uh, at least by the middle of the year quite a bit. Um I don't, but all three of them are breakout players because they all haven't played much. Do you pretty much agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I
1: think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, we saw Hamza flash uh, several times last Definitely. year. Definitely. Um, Fagan kind of towards the end of the Cyrus year. Cyrus Fagan, much. Yeah, we didn't see him until the last several games, and, and you know, would be is obviously a freshman, true freshman coming in, highly touted. So I think all three of those guys, you know are going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do, you know, as, as starters for the first time, um, as players who are getting their first, you know, heavy, heavy dose of playing time at the collegiate level. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see, uh, that, that, that could be a position, you know, that, that provides, that has some growing pains for, um, you know, Florida state, just as you got a bunch of, bunch of new faces back there. Um, I think that could be a position that you know you have to see these guys grow into a little bit. Not that they aren't talented because they're very talented. It's just one of those things, you know, you you you're going to see mistakes from time to time. Guys are going to get behind people biting up on you know, play action and stuff like that. So I think that's something that's going to, you know, have to be just grown into and and something that you'll see when you have a lot of young safeties.
0: I agree. Okay, so that, I think that wraps up our, our football talk, especially as we go into spring practice. I think from here on out, just talking to people around the team, will have a lot more to say and like a lot more information to provide. Um, but it's always fun to speculate before practice starts. With that being said, I, I think it's time to get Basketball Writer uh, and our friend Dustin Lewis on the show and see what he's got to say about this March Madness Sweet 16 run that the Noles have made and just t- just talk about it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's going to be, uh, you know, a great, great discussion uh, as we get Dustin on here and kind of talk about this surprising run to the uh, Sweet 16 and and what are the chances that that Florida State can go even further in this
0: tournament. All right, let's get him on. All right, now we're back with No Game Day Basketball Writer and our good friend Dustin Lewis. Dustin, what's going on, brother?
2: Hey, what's up, guys? It's great to be back with No Game Day. Uh, we are—we brought Dustin
0: on. We brought you on, Dustin, to talk about FSU's, I don't want to say magical yet, but ex- a special run into the Sweet 16 in this March Madness uh, NCAA tournament. And I think it, it, it wasn't necessarily expected, but uh, I'll let you talk about what you've witnessed so far on the court, Dustin.
2: Yeah, it's definitely been a magical run. I mean, when FSU was down 12... Under ten to play against Xavier, it wasn't it wasn't looking very good for the Seminoles. But obviously, they came out of that timeout and turned up the defense, created turnovers, and got to the basket. Trent Forrest played great down the stretch, and then PJ Savoy hit that big shot to put us up.
0: What do you think? Uh, just some of the turning points in that game that allowed Florida State to knock off a one seed for the first time in uh, school history. What are some things that? FSU did well that they normally don't, or Xavier didn't do well, or w- w- foul trouble. W- what, what are some things you observed in that game that allowed FSU to knock off a one seed?
2: Well, Xavier was one of the best teams possessing the ball. They only turned the ball over about 13 times a game. And FSU actually forced 18 turnovers in the game. And then there was also a huge stretch at the end where and Jelly got an offensive rebound, scored... And then to tie the game up and Xavier came back down to take the lead and he drew a charge and found out their best player. And I thought that was really an instrumental moment in the game that really turned the momentum.
1: I, I, yeah, I agree because watching that game and watching J.P. Mccura, um, you know, kind of he really st- stood out to me just how good of a player he was. And I think Kevin Gelly taking that charge and, and getting him out of the game for the last I think it was about what was it? Like four minutes, no,
2: um, it was it was under that. Was There's it under that? Under, well, under two minutes. He was, was
0: under. He was out before that, and then he came back for like trouble. four minutes, oh, or yeah, three yeah, minutes to play, it. and then he came back in, and Calvin Gelly got him on the charge, which yeah, I like, thought was clear as day—a charge. apparently the announcers didn't. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was pretty pretty. Clear. Yeah, like definitely so, like mo- yeah. m- more of a charge than a than a block. I mean, they called they
1: called the you know they called the the charge on Trent Forrest there at the halfway line on a fast break, uh, which I thought was a charge. Um, He he did have his feet set. Um, You know, my first reaction because it was such a weird area to take a charge was like, no way. But when you watch it, it it would look like a charge. But I think that's really been like the tail of this run for Florida State is Trent Forrest. Um, You know, he's just, as he's gotten healthy uh, the second half of the season, He's turned into the driving force of this team. Um, like, you know, I, I think everybody saw the stat. He was plus thirty-one against um, a plus thirty-one against Missouri in the, in the, the first round game. That, that's nothing short of insane. Um I, I think I'm pretty sure he was plus thirty-one. And then when when he was off the court, Florida State was minus sixteen. Sounds um, about right. That that's yeah. just insane, and uh, it, it just shows you that he kind of brings a dynamic to the team that no one else can um, at the point guard position. Uh, his ability to to get to the hoop is kind of unmatched on this team, and so uh, you know that that's been to me the driving force for this run is Trent Forrest's play.
0: So yeah, Justin, he was sorry, oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Now that now that we have handily knocked off Missouri. And they upset the number one seed, Xavier. We go to Los Angeles to face a West Coast team, Gonzaga. What do you know about Gonzaga and how FSU stacks up against them?
2: It's going to be tough, man. Uh, Mark Few, he's a veteran coach. He's been in Gonzaga since 1999. And Gonzaga's been in the tournament every year since he's been there, which is a ridiculous stretch. Wow. They've wow. been in the, the Sweet 16 the last four years, so... They're very familiar with this kind of big game. And obviously, Florida State isn't as familiar. This is as far as we've been since 2011. <clears throat> but they really have a true freshman who's ste- stepping up, which is guard Zach Norvell. He's averaging. Who's Florida 21- State actually recruited um, pretty oh. heavily. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. But he's averaging 21 and a half points, 7.5 rebounds, and two and a half assists in the tournament. And he wow. hit eight threes against Ohio State, so yes. he's really been balling out. Yeah, no, but those are some crazy numbers right there. Yeah, they're not a very deep team, which Florida State is, so we could use that to our advantage. They only have seven guys who play over 19 minutes a game, so if we can get them into early foul trouble, our depth could be the advantage in this ballgame. Which ball game.
0: definitely worked out against against Xavier. Yeah. Uh, So one thing me and Ethan were talking about, uh, I guess, before the podcast and just while we were watching the game, is Xavier and Gonzaga. I don't mean to group them together necessarily, but these are teams that are very well coached, like you said, Mark Few, Mark and uh, Chris. What's his name? Chris Mack. Chris Mack, Mack. the bald guy, looks like Scott Van Pelt. Uh, (laughs) He and Mark Few, very good coaches, obviously run very well-coached teams, High uh, Gonzaga's a little bit of an exception, but high free throw percentage, low turnover rates, very efficient teams, very smart teams, don't beat themselves. And Florida State is kind of, I don't want to say, they're not poorly coached, obviously they're in the Sweet 16, but they have a lot of talent, a lot of size, and a lot of athleticism. And their their strengths aren't necessarily the little things as much as they are they are those three or four overall like constructs would you guys mm-hmm. agree totally I, I think that that's pretty
1: you know like like if you look at, at a team like Gonzago or a team like um, Xavier that they're the team that you think of you know you throw them in a half- court situation they're gonna be exactly. able to run plays and execute plays and and yeah you know, generally they're going to be the teams that you know. Apparently Gonzaga hasn't been sh- you know shooting well from the free throw line in the tournament, but typically they're going to be the teams that hit their free throws. They're going to be their you know the teams that that take charges and and you know do like the smart heady things that that um you know teams that are coached well then. um yeah and kind of their bread and butter is doing the small things. Whereas Florida State,
0: which is, is why they won, you know twenty seven. Yeah. 30 games each, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's right why, there. That's why. Um, you know, Gonzaga's been in the Sweet 16 the last four years, and that's why Xavier was a one seed this year.
0: Um, They're close to upset-proof. Their style of play is as close to upset-proof as you can get in college basketball. Exactly, yes. Granted, I don't know how much of an upset FSU-Gonzaga would be at this point just because FSU just beat the number one seed, you know? But um, anyways, definitely underdogs. Um, yeah. Dustin, what do you think... Uh, as far as prediction wise on the game, do you think how what do you do you like FSU's chances? Do you like them more than when going into exa- into the game against Xavier? What what do you see in this matchup? What do you see portrait like folding uh, folding out in the matchup?
2: I'm definitely more confident heading into this game than Xavier just because of the way Xavier had handled us the previous season, and they were a number one seed, so it just felt like a tough matchup coming in, but. After knocking them off and the way we played down the stretch, FSU's coming into this game with a lot of momentum, especially on the defensive side of the floor. Offensively, we haven't been very good this tournament, so I'm hoping our better scorers can get going. And also the bench, MJ Walker went 0 out of 6 last game, so I'm hoping he's due for a good game. But same thing with Gonzaga. Some of their best shooters, uh, Killy Tilly, who's a sophomore. I don't you know said if Dilly Dilly? <laughs> 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 Killy Killy Tilly, I, oh, it's uh, a funny Killy name. And Tilly, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Killy and Tilly is his full name. Yeah, he he's shooting forty seven point nine percent from deep on the season, and he hasn't made a three in the tournament. So, I feel that's like he be could an be an interesting for matchup for game. someone.
1: I think I yeah. think that they have to put um, Fiondu on on Tilly to kind of be able to take him out there to the perimeter. I think I think Fiondu is going to have to play a lot and, and have a really big game against Gonzaga.
2: Yeah. And talking about Kevin jelly, I, I feel like I feel the same way. He's got to be phenomenal in this game. He had 14 and 12 against Missouri. And then he had that crazy stretch against Xavier. So he's really kind of been the X factor off the bench for this team so far. And Gonzaga's tallest player is only six, nine. So with all They're the star- size, tallest
1: starters, six, nine, right? Yeah, they don't the, start. They, they have one center on their roster and I don't think they start him.
2: It's the tallest wow. guy in
1: their rotation.
2: Yeah. So we should really attack the rim. Even our guards are gonna be bigger than their guards, and our guards are almost as big as their big men. So yeah, really. we should attack yeah. the rim all night.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder I wonder what you see. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see what, what the strategy is and how Hamilton approaches it, whether he, you know, kind of goes small and plays a lot of Kevin Gelly at the five, or if he says, All right, they're small, we're gonna try and, and make them play a game they don't want to play and maybe throw a guy maybe they try to get Christ going on the offensive end even though he's had a rough tournament so far or maybe they throw a guy like um, Obiagu in there to really dominate the boards and make it tough on on their you know their guys to get anything inside so it's going to be just interesting to see whether um, Hamilton chooses to attack them and kind of play their own game by going small with him or if he tries to you know go big and combat them in a different way
2: yeah well one thing I noticed watching a little bit of film of uh, Gonzaga against UNC Greensboro, their their first round matchup. They they play really good defense, but if you get them into the pick and roll, they're not a very good team when it comes to switching.
1: So either the, the roll will The thing about that is that Florida State's not a really good pick and roll team.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I'm hoping. What well, how are, maybe, how is their? a week of practice. <laughs> did they let?
0: Did they let? Uh, Greensboro in that game you watched? How how is their transition defense? Because that and do they turn the ball over a lot? Because those are some things that FSU kind of needs to succeed. Even against Xavier, like we talked about, Xavier had 18 turnovers, and that's something that let FSU
2: get back into the game. They don't turn the ball over a lot, but they haven't played a team that's going to be this aggressive like FSU. That's that's, that's going to be the key. All
0: right, so let's let's get our score predictions off, or at least FSU wins or loses by a certain amount.
1: Uh, right. I'll go first because I'm like the resident Debbie Downer, but I think that oh. you
2: know,
1: I, I, I ultimately think that um, Gonzaga just um, has a little bit too much, like I, I guess you could say offensive firepower in this one um, and, and they win by like five or six points, something like that. Um, I, I just, I just question to a certain extent, Florida States like transition defense and things like that. And, and I, they have a tendency, you know, people always complain. You see on Twitter, people complain, like, you know, guys always seem to shoot, you know, like, ridiculously well from three against Florida State. And I know it's been kind of proven in the past or or by people that, that like, three-point percentage against is is really, like, um, you know, it's not something that your defense can actively, you know, like, defend against. It just, it's kind of a luck thing. But I do think, to a certain extent, like, Florida State lets a lot of, like, in rhythm threes be shot. And I think that that's something that could end up like hurting them against a team like in with a, a guy who's a hot shooter like Norvell is right now. And then maybe a guy like Killian Tilly gets going. Um, so I, I just, you know, I, I think that there's a very real chance that Florida state could win this game. Um, but I, I just don't think I like, I'm not, I don't think it's more than there's more than a 50% chance that, that happens.
0: All right. So go ahead with the score prediction. Don't be around um, the bush.
1: All right, I'll say, uh, I'll say, seventy eight,
0: seventy three. Okay, Gonzaga by five. Okay, Dustin, as the expert, let's see what the expert has to say. (laughs) Step aside.
2: Well, I got to be honest with you guys. If you're calling me an expert, then I've been pretty bad this tournament because I didn't feel good about FSU's chances against Missouri. I really didn't feel good about FSU's chances against Xavier. And now I'm actually starting to feel good about FSU's chances against Gonzaga. So, if anything, I should pick against FSU here. <laughs> but, like like Ethan mentioned, I really think that their shooters, Killy Tilly, Josh Perkins as well, who's a guy that sh- shot almost 40%, he's only made 2 out of 10 this tournament. Some of their shooters are just due for a game. And they're they're a total of 32 out of 56 from the line in the tournament, which is 57%, so... They're getting to the line a lot, and they're not making them. And I, if they get to the line a lot against us, I don't know why. Like you even said with the three pointers, it feels like people just make more shots against us. I don't know if it's just me being a fan or what, but I don't know to pick. I'm gonna go Gonzaga in a in a close one. I can see it getting into the the lower 70s, kind of like 73 to a 67, something like that. Okay. Um.
0: Because you guys both went Gonzaga, I'm for the balance. Compelled.
2: Logan's going Florida
1: State. <laughs> Logan, all right, Logan, I'm tripping. Ryan, <laughs> what?
0: We've only been doing this podcast <laughs> like a year. I know, man. I'm sorry. I love you. It's it's no hard feelings. Oh, no, but I have to go Gonzaga. I'm sorry. Uh, this has been the most. That was the most enjoyable sporting <laughs> event I've watched in a long time. FSU Xavier. I I loved every second of that. They. I think, though, Xavier dominated FSU for 36 minutes yeah, of something that like game. That. And FSU was very fortunate and definitely hit big shots, made big plays down the stretch like they needed to. They are very fortunate to have Xavier's best three players in foul trouble for a lot of the game. Very yep. fortunate that Xavier shot way worse from the free from throw the free line throw than line. they typically do. Uh, they got better play from... B, Cabangeli, then they got the rest of the season. Uh, Yes, MJ Walker did miss some threes. P.J. Savoy had the best game of his career. A lot of things went their way. Trent Forrest was out of his mind in the last five minutes. Um, So I just think, unless... March Madness is full of miracles, so don't get me wrong, but I I just don't see another one happening on uh, Thursday night. I'll say Gonzaga by eight. Yeah, it just seems like there's too much, like...
1: Too many fortunate things happen for Florida State against Xavier Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, to really like expect that to happen again. Now that's not to say there aren't like areas of the game that Florida State can control themselves and get better at to kind of make up for that that you know that luck probably not happening in the future.
0: Um, But it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm definitely excited. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Dustin. It's always nice to have somebody who knows what they're talking about when, when it comes to basketball. Um, listen to their opinion, and you definitely gave me a lot of interesting things that I had no idea, especially when it <laughs> comes to the matchup versus Gonzaga. So uh, thanks for coming on, bro. Nice to have
2: you back. Yeah, it's uh, like I said earlier, it's great to be back. I can't wait to get back to work, and thanks for having me on, and hopefully I'll be on here a little more regularly.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, if, I'll get, I'll make you a promise. If we get if we get this this Gonzaga W, you're coming back on before the Elite Eight, baby.
2: Let's do it. It's
1: Ethan Vaughn here, signing off from another episode of Here at the Spirit, presented by Noel Game Day. We uh, hope you enjoyed our discussion about spring practice and the upcoming spring football season, as well as FSU's Sweet 16 matchup um, with Gonzaga. That we had our basketball expert Dustin Lewis on to talk about. Uh, if you enjoyed our discussion, we'd really appreciate it if you'd hop on your podcast provider and give us a, a review and talk about what you liked. Uh, we Those go a long way and help us out a lot, so we appreciate them. Uh, with that being said, we'll see you all next time.